Hi, this is Karina Ganter's host of Behind the Pen. You're listening to the audio podcast. Enjoy. Well, hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Behind the Pen and it's Nat Pod Pomo Special. Uh, can't remember what day I'm on because it gets confusing. And if you are crazy like me, then uh, you'll understand why I'm doing Napod Pomo. It is podcasting one record, edit and post every day through November. Yeah, I'm a loon. So uh, I'm your host, Karina Gantis. I am an award-winning author of 14 books, award-winning filmmaker, booktuber, book booktuber, YouTuber. I host the uh, Author Assist show on the Artist First Radio Network. I also run Author Assist, which helps authors with their marketing, promotion, brainstorming, and everything in between. My guest today is, uh, I'm going to get the name right now, Lindsay Kinsella. Welcome to the show, Lindsay. Hi, Karina. Thank you for having me. Um, It's a pleasure. I wanted to have a chat with you for so long because we've been on many panels together. And I still don't really know about you or your book. So this is a really good chance to to get all those answers I want. Um, first question, of course, is uh, your accent. Where are you from? Uh, so I am from uh, a little town called Dunfermline, which is just outside Edinburgh in Scotland. Lovely. I've been to Scotland a few times, been to Edinburgh. And there was a hurricane and the tent blew <laughs> off. So that was uh, something I'm never going to forget. I was very quite young then um so how is it over there because i i hear it's it's like the uk it's very cold and miserable i think that's a fair summary of (laughs) of scottish weather to be honest um we we do get a summer but it's but it's brief this is now very brief we're we're very much very much into cold wet it's not even uh, when you go somewhere really cold you get nice kind of snowy icy winter but no it just it's just gray and wet gray and wet oh how dull (laughs) how dull you need to go somewhere bright so you can get your muse and uh right because when you're in a a really nice uh atmosphere and nice surroundings and it just helps you relax and gets you in the mood for writing so that's why I live on the island of Khufu. Yes, you're welcome anytime. <laughs> we have a writer's retreat. Yeah, we we'll have to sort something out with Joe for that. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> over to Khufu. Oh, what a party we would have. All right, enough of that. So um, my guests, I always ask them the question, but I'm not going to ask you because I already know that you're an amazing author. Uh, a debut author, just one book at the moment, is it? That's, that's right, just the one so far. And... Um, well, my first question would be, why did you start writing? Oh, that's, I, th- I think sometimes the question I ask myself rather is, is why I didn't start writing sooner. I, I think it's always something that was kind of in the back of my mind, mm. something that I thought I could do. And I just never really found the time or the opportunity. Um, COVID, really, first lockdown was was when I decided to, to give it a bash because Quite frankly, I had I had nothing else to do. Um, I was Many you know, lo- locked inside. Yeah. yeah. Um, so every every cloud, I guess, um, yeah. it, it gave me the time. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you turn a, a negative into a positive. There were two sides to the COVID. Either writers just didn't find inspiration to write, or those that always wanted to write a book had the time to finally do it. Yeah, I think that was it. I think it was there was like a, a sort of backlog of you know 
20 years of ideas oh, wow. to, to try and get down, which um, I'm still nowhere near getting them all down. Um, I don't know if I ever will. But it's, 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 it's kind of therapeutic, I think, to, to, to take some of those ideas out and, and do to. something with them. <laughs> You've got yes. to. How do you sleep with 20 years of ideas in your head? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't is the short answer, although I, I do have a I do have a three-month-old son, so that's probably more to do with it. Wow. Congratulations. Your first? Uh, third. Third now. Three children you have. Yes, I'm a, I'm a dab hand at it now. That's wow. what I like to think. <laughs> Congratulations. Are they, are they your boys? Uh, no, I have I have two boys and a girl. Oh, how old's the girl? Um, she is six now. So oh, what's her she's name? The, she's the middle child, Alice. And how do the brothers treat her? They, uh, they, they well, I mean, obviously the youngest is, is too small to, to, to bicker with anyone. The two oldest, they, they bicker a lot, but I think all siblings do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, my two girls are okay, actually. Uh, I didn't have a problem with those two fighting even through their teens one's gone off now the other one's 13 and in the house oh they they soon grow up enjoy enjoy every minute with them because they'll soon grow up without you even noticing and leave the house without you thinking <laughs> where have these years gone i know by the time you're like oh thank god she's left but it won't be trust me it won't okay so the idea for the book you've had that in your head for quite some time where did it come from? Where did it stem from? So this this particular book really stemmed from a, a sort of interest in the subject material. So for as long as I can remember, I've been just a, a huge paleontology geek um, <laughs> to, 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 to the point of obsession at certain points in my life, if I'm honest. Um, and I, I think I found a certain level of frustration with how... Um, kind of natural history in general but also you know sort of dinosaurs and I like how, how they're portrayed in popular media it's it's even even today you know 30 years on from Jurassic Park the science has moved on a huge amount and and popular culture just hasn't kept up <laughs> it's, it's stuck in the 90s and it's it's been frustrating me for years and I, I thought you know we need something out there so I decided to write a, the book that I wanted to read effectively something that Perfect. brought that that modern interpretation to people and, and just just expanded people's view a little you know there are there's, there's so much more to paleontology than just you know what you've seen in a movie yeah I mean as soon as you said that word the first thing was Jurassic Park I bet he's watched Jurassic Park list number one because the <laughs> others once the dinosaurs are around it's, it's nothing no more bones so what got you into that I mean how old were you when you started getting interested in that subject it's, it's it's really hard to say young enough that I don't really remember um put it that way so you know but what was it was it a age. film you watched a book you read what got you so interested into it I, I remember subscribing to a dinosaur magazine and I must I must have been maybe four or five. That, that was one of my earliest memories was wow. just getting these magazines every week and, and just reading about, you know, and, and at first when, when you're when you're a young kid, it's wow, cool, look at dinosaurs. They were huge, they were, you know, ancient. But as as you get older, you find that 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 kind of wonder doesn't go away. You just 
find out that there's there's another layer on top of that and there's there's something cool of the time and once you start to really think about the sheer length of time you know we think about millions of years and it doesn't really our, our little monkey brains don't really compute, no, compute how big no, a million long, is yeah yeah um, the ice age and the iron age and all that and no you don't i mean you watch the films you watch the cartoon. i love the ice age um the cartoons and what have you and uh woolly mammoth and the saber-toothed tiger um my daughter had a, a six-year addiction with dinosaurs six years everything was dinosaurs and she knew every single dinosaur if you showed her a picture she'll tell you exactly who it was she's yeah wow and they I soak, up, saw, uh... soak up information so quickly at that age as well they do they definitely do and I, I once saw it was just like a graph someone drew and it was like how your your knowledge of dinosaurs evolves and there's a big spike when you're six and then there's another spike when you have a child who's six oh wow um, because it's just it's just when everyone it thinks it about yeah. it <laughs> no how old was she i can't remember how old, but it was six years not six years old but six years she had this addiction to dinosaurs so of course she's got all the Jurassic Park she's got all the BBC um dinosaur um uh, walking with dinosaurs walking with dinosaurs and walking with mammoths and walking with beasts she's got all of them yeah. she absolutely loves they're fantastic documentaries they really are and they I are think they are excellent they're, they're so well done so let's uh, I mean I know the subject matter of your book, but what genre would it fall under? I think it falls quite firmly within science fiction, but it's quite sort of grounded science fiction. It's very much set in the real world. It's not set in the future. Okay. I suppose in theory it's set in the past, but, it, you know, it, it's, it starts off modern day. And, and the, the concept around it is that it's, you know, the the first ever expedition through time so time travel is a new technology it's not very convenient yet it has all of the all of the clunkiness and all of the glitches that you would expect from from brand new technology so they're going to take a trip to dinosaur world then that's that's it yeah and it's, it, it, then it becomes a sort of sort of a kind of thriller um, sort of a mystery from there once once they arrive there uh, I didn't want to focus too much on you know having sort of dinosaur Hollywood monsters I wanted to to write it as you know as, as, as their animals in their own habitat and I wanted to make sure that the the antagonists if you like are, are very much people yeah um, so a lot of the story revolves around you know sort of conspiracy and and uh, it's, it's difficult to speak about it too much without spoiling things yep can you read the blurb from the book have you got it with I, you I, I can indeed Wonderful. i should have it memorized by now shouldn't i no trust me i've got 14 of them and like, don't even ask me <laughs> any about the blurbs <laughs> um so yeah short and sweet um six to eight million years in the past deep time the true final frontier but all is not as it seems which should be most feared the dinosaurs or the people the answer is the people, by the way. I, I think that kind of gives that away. That's <laughs> it. That's it for the blurb. That's that's it. Short you, and you are really not giving anything away, are you? <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Okay. So um 
with it being, uh, I mean, you knew all about paleontology and you know all about dinosaurs, but um, to get it um, correct with the history times and the names and what have you, I mean, how much more research did you have to do on that book? A, a lot. I mean, I, I had the benefit of, you know, sort of several decades of background knowledge, which made the research a little easier. Yeah. But yeah there, there was still a lot to put in there because like i kind of say that the whole original motivation was to keep it up to date so i had to make sure that i was also kept up to date um and and sometimes just little things like making sure that the animals there would indeed have appeared at the same place in the same time mm-hmm. because that's a, it's a very common mistake amongst sort of dinosaur media is just just kind of clumping famous dinosaurs together together which, when it's they would never yeah. have been around at that time. They came after yeah. that dinosaur. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. that's why that's why I love watching documentaries on them because they they've done their research. They know what they're talking about. And if they don't know, then they won't mention it because it's not it's not a, a resource. It's not a, the truth of what they know. I mean, the only thing we have to show that they lived were the bones. We have no other real evidence. Uh, to that they even existed or, or how they lived everything's more of a a guess and and try and piece things together with with what evidence we have and it's it's not a lot and yet the the documentaries and and stuff can really make you feel like they know what they're talking about and you believe them because you think they you should believe them because they're a documentary <laughs> Yeah, and, and I think when you when you delve into the, the sort of science and when you delve into how we know these things, it's, it is fascinating. It's quite fascinating when you think about the information that, that a paleontologist can determine from a, a lump of rock, which, you know, isn't even bone anymore, you know, used to be bone millions of years in the past. Um, you know, a, a good example recently is, is, is they managed to, to determine little structures within a feather from a, a micro raptor you know hundreds of millions of years in the past and from that they can tell what color it was it's not that color anymore it hasn't been for hundreds of millions of years but they now know that it was it was black with a sort of blue prismatic screen you know to, to real you know high degree of accuracy it's fascinating the, the, yeah, the no. real novel methods that they have of, of really sucking information out of something from, from such a lowly starting point. I know it's it's far-fetched Jurassic Park, but the actual idea of finding DNA and being able to take the DNA of something prehistoric and making, I don't know, I think you could take the DNA of something prehistoric if you'd found something like that mosquito or something enclosed in ice, maybe you'd have the DNA of something. Um, but uh, to actually then be able to make eggs and fertilize, I don't think that would be a possibility. No, there are sort of real life studies into, into how we would do that. And it's, it's much more difficult. I mean, I don't think we'll see part. dinosaurs again. I think we'll, we're happy, we should be happy that there's crocodiles and alligators around <laughs> and hippos and rhinoceros. That's the closest we're going to get to the dinosaur. 
<laughs> yeah, the, I, I can't tell you the exact time, but I, I think it's it's tens of thousands of years as the sort of lifespan of DNA, even if it is preserved within amber or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, so dinosaurs are out of the question, but we, we do have um, sort of at least most of the genome of some more recent prehistoric animals. I think we have certain amounts of the mammoth genome and things like the, the Tasmanian tiger, but there are practical issues with doing mm-hmm. that. You know, how, how how do you birth such an animal? How do you give it a mother? I think you can't play God when it comes to things like that. I don't, I don't agree with that myself. I think... Uh, it should be left as it was same with cloning uh, that that scares the hell out of me what they've done with cloning and 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 robots and and uh, artificial intelligence and science fiction is just going so fast it's going faster than what we can cope with i think it is and i think that's that's part of what makes science fiction so interesting i think is it, it takes a lot of these technologies and it, and it explores the ethics behind it you know it explores you know is this technology a good idea you know no <laughs> there's, there's 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 the can it be used and then there's the should it be used no <laughs> um and yeah i mean quite quite often that is the case and i mean to be fair i think modern science actually has a, quite a good grasp on ethics i think i think the technology to for example cloning a, a you know sort of ice age mammal it's broadly there if it had the proper funding they probably could have got there but i think most scientists recognize that there isn't an ethical reason to do it Um, well no i mean not a mammal but they have cloned a sheep so they've shown that it works i mean that was all over the news um that cloning um and so if they can clone a sheep they can clone a human and then we're getting into this like i said the scary (laughs) part of the science so your book, I mean, it's very, very big, especially for a debut novel. How many words uh, did you get up to in this? Oh, I do believe it is in the region of 90,000. Wow, that is a big one. So you haven't told me, I know you don't want to give any spoilers away, but we really need to entice people to go out and buy your book. So we need to know Roughly, what, what's going to happen in this book? You said about time travel, and we know they're going to the dinosaur age, and there's conspiracy, and it's a thriller. But give us a little bit more. Absolutely. So, effectively, we, we have a team, an expedition team, who find themselves in the late Cretaceous, 68 million years in the past. It's broadly at the end of the sort of reign of the dinosaurs. Um, what quickly becomes apparent while they're there is that they are not alone. They are not the only people there. Cool. Um, and, and that becomes apparent. There are sort of subtle hints. And then slowly it, it becomes more and more obvious that that's the case. And they can't deny it anymore. Things like, you know, a tire track in the mud, which isn't theirs. And so then we slowly find out, you know, who are these other people? What are they doing there? Um, But of course, they also have to contend with the environment that they're in. It is dangerous. Um, The whole point of the technology that we have is it's it's 
new technology. Time travel's not handy. You can't just jump back and forth whichever time zone you fancy. It takes about six months to recharge the machine. So they're stranded. Oh, so they extended, yeah. They are they are stuck there for six months. So there's there's a real feeling of isolation there. You know, there are other people. Are these people friendly? Friendly. Are they not? There's no backup. It's a team of four. Um, so there's that real kind of tension of being alone and not knowing what's out there, not knowing who's out there. Um, but certainly they have to contend with the wildlife as well, because I couldn't write a dinosaur book without some some juicy dinosaur encounters. <laughs> T-Rex and Mr. Rexy show his face. It, it does. Um, it was part of the reason I chose that time zone is I, I wanted to bring some, some new dinosaurs that people hadn't heard of, but I wanted to also bring dinosaurs that people think they know and and show them how our knowledge of those animals has changed oh now you've got me when you say think they know do you mean like a t-rex what i know of as a t-rex i've got wrong if, effectively yes i mean i mean t-rex is is one of those animals which we've known about for so long i mean yeah I think first we've, we've had t-rex fossils for for over 100 years but we're still always finding out new things about it and a lot of it's just little things that have become sort of ingrained in public consciousness, like like they could run fast. We now know that they, they couldn't really go no. faster than you, but not Yeah, much. exactly, because of the, their, their weight. There's no way they could have run fast. And the T-Rex has got tiny, tiny little hands, um, big teeth, and is a meat eater. Um, and that's really all I know about it, a T-Rex. So what can you tell me that I don't know? Well, I think one of one of the more interesting things to to bring was was behavioural aspects. So one mm -hmm. of the things that you always see from dinosaurs in popular culture is as they come they come sprinting across the landscape, roaring at their whatever they plan on eating. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen an animal documentary, but but predators don't do that. They no, they they sneak. They, they sneak yes, they, they they appear out of nowhere. So that's very much what I wanted to show. I wanted to show that you know yes. Tyrannosaurus is, is huge and fearsome and vicious, but you don't see it coming. And I think that's more frightening. I think that's more oh, frightening yeah. than something that comes tearing across a field at you, you know, roaring and snarling, is something which appears right beside you that you didn't know was there, even though it's vast. And I think, and, and ultimately, that's what we, that, that's what paleontologists assume was T Rex's hunting strategy. It was an ambush predator. It wasn't fast. It was it was powerful. It was quick bursts of energy. Um, so I think behavioural aspects of T Rex was the big thing that I wanted to explore. Mm. And you knew all this before, or you found this through your research for the book? A little bit of both. A little bit of both. I think um, most most of the the sort of behavioural things were things that annoyed me about pop culture before. <laughs> before I even started. Um, some things that were interesting were, were things like um, the notion that there, there's absolutely no evidence that a, a, any dinosaurs, for that matter, could could roar. Roaring and that kind of vocalization is very much a mammal trait. Mm. Um, reptiles just, they don't have, they don't have the structures for that. So they make sort of hissing sounds instead and, and, and kind of grumblings. I don't know if you've ever heard the noises that crocodile makes, but they don't open their mouth. They sort of vibrate Brown, from within yeah. their chest. Um, 
So aspects yeah. like that, just little details that I found quite interesting. There, there was one site online that I, I accidentally got onto and you could actually, they actually had the sound of the, the sound that dinosaurs would have made at the time. You should check that out and, and see how close they are to what you're saying now. Because yeah. I, I want to double check now and see if they, they got them as roaring or hissing. Um, so this is your first book and we always say when you've you finished your first you've got to start on your second straight away so what are you working on now Lindsay? Um, I, I've stuck with a similar subject material but kind of switched audience a little um, I'm currently working on a sort of young adult fantasy novel Oh, that's my cup of day <laughs> <laughs> I, I say fantasy, I, I think it kind of straddles the border between fantasy and sci-fi it has mm -hmm. aspects of both but mm -hmm. effectively it, it follows a young girl who she finds out that her, her, her mother has terminal cancer and she has this sort of you know vivid imagination and and she, she finds that she can delve into this world within her subconscious mm. and there's this there's this real question throughout the book as you know is it is it real? Is it just an imagination? Where where is the line? Um, and yeah, effectively, it's, it's a young girl's sort of quest to to save her dying mother, which sounds really depressing. I promise you, it's quite fun. It's quite an upbeat book, mostly. Um, but yeah, um, I wanted to bring some of those aspects that the Lazarus Taxa had in a really dark, gritty way but bring it to a younger audience in a more How fun, many fantasy kind of way. tropes have you used? Like, I mean, in my fantasy, I've not used any. You will not find elves, goblins, and wizards, and unicorns, and dragons. None of that in my fantasy. I want it to be unique. I want it to... The thing about fantasy is, is you can imagine any creature, and it exists because it's your fantasy and fantasy there are no holes bound imagination could go wild it's that's why I love writing fantasy so but have you got any of the tropes in your I, I don't know so so this is this is where the concept kind of starts to blur the line between fantasy and science fiction um the, the young girl in question, um, Robin. I can say her name now. I only decided her name about a week ago. It took me about oh, a week well. to figure out what I was going to call her. <laughs> How have you spelt um, it? I-N or Y-N? A-Y-N. There you go. I like that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this is just young girl Robin. Um, is, is kind of like a lot of kids were, including myself. She's a, she's a dinosaur nerd. So that's where the science fiction element creeps in. Um, a young girl who's obsessed with dinosaurs, well, a world within her subconscious is, is full of, you know, extinct animals. So those sort of orcs and elves and dwarfs, they've been replaced by real life animals. Which, love it. Which no longer exist. And, and I love the idea of you not telling the reader whether she is just imagining it because she has a high imagination or she is really going, travelling into that, the world in her mind I, I i love the idea of that how are you getting on with that how far are you into that book i um <laughs> i don't want to jinx myself i am almost finished oh I, wonderful and how um, long you've been writing it since october last year so just over a year that's about right yeah and is it a big one again 
it's it's not as big. I think it's I think it's sitting at about seventy thousand words at the moment. Mm-hmm. I don't expect it to grow much more than that. So that'll be that's a nice size novel. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping within the next couple of months it'll be off to beta readers. Oh, wonderful title! Uh, it's called The Heart of Pangea. Pangea is that her name? Second Pan- name or Pangea is the as the world. Oh, and you've made that up. It doesn't exist, Pangea. So Pangea is the name of the supercontinent which once existed in real life on Earth. Oh, did um, it? And so this sort of fantasy world that she's imagined is uh, takes on the name of, of Pangea. So, yeah, if it, uh, I'm going to have to remember the time Think, frame. Thinks of uh, like Atlantis supposed to have been here, but no one knows if it really existed. But, yeah, it did exist one time, but it might not have existed. <laughs> <laughs> Pangea, I like that. Mine's Ticinia, my my magical world, Ticinia. It's amazing what you can come up with. You got yeah, think, um, um you made up words uh for creatures or they all like you said they're actually dinosaurs, aren't they? So you would have used the correct uh that must be hard in the book for some of those spellings. <laughs> <laughs> It, it is for for quite a few of them we we come up with sort of um kind of nicknames so the the main although the main character in a sense is is the young girl robin the the narrator the you're you're told the story from first pe- first person perspective mm-hmm. um is actually her imaginary friend oh she's got an imaginary so friend as well it's it's told directly from the yeah so it's told directly from the perspective of someone who may not even exist. be real um, but then the is, land might not exist either so i yeah, like that yeah you you yeah I'd i thought that I was an interesting concept because most you know, definitely the, i think the idea of you know child has imaginary friend that's that's i want to get to the end of the book and find out the truth <laughs> <laughs> get the book and just see what happens at the end of it oh wonderful uh so where can people do you want to um people can't see it on the podcast but do you want to uh, just lift up your your first book your debut novel yeah absolutely What's so it this called? is the this is the hardback version of the lazarus taxa lazarus um, and, and that's an actual dinosaur is it lazarus taxa so the the lazarus taxa is a, a lazarus taxa is a scientific term for an animal which was once extinct and then found to be alive and well or some sometimes just found to have existed later than we thought it had um and i thought that was quite a fitting name cool Um, yeah no one's heard of it before but it's a it's a a really good name title for a book yeah so where can people find it i mean are you are you wide or you just with amazon so at the moment, I'm with Amazon, uh, Google Play and Barnes & Noble. So you, you can pick it up at any of those outlets. So you're not with, you haven't put it, the uh, ebook on Draft to Digital and go with Kobo and not, Apple? Not as of yet. All right, we'll talk more about this, you and me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> where can people find you on social media, Lindsay? Uh, so my, my predominant social media is Facebook. Um, you can find that my page is just uh, Lindsay Kinsella colon the Lazarus Taxa. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, and I do have a TikTok channel as well. Um, I use those to a lesser extent. But, yeah, um, you got I, a I website. 
I don't have a website, no. Um, I, I seem to have been able to function quite well just through social media. Another thing we're going to talk about then. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> well, um, Lindsay, thank you so much for being a guest on Behind the Pen. And it's been fascinating talking to you about a topic that I know a little bit about because of my, my daughter's uh, addiction uh, that she had. Um, and uh, I wish you all the best with, with your debut novel and the new novel when it comes out. Thank you very much. It's been, uh, it's been good. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Hey folks, you're listening to the podcast Behind the Pen. Behind the Pen brings you fun and entertaining interviews by amazing creatives. And if you'd like to support and keep the podcast going, you can donate via my Linktree page. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E backslash Karina Gantus, all small letters. Every dollar helps me share my platform with these amazing artists. Don't forget to follow like and review the podcast your support means everything